referring back to the church at Macedonia. Macedonia was a very blessed church. Now, automatically, when we say blessed church, we think of a church that had a lot of stuff, was blessed. That's our mentality of blessed. Uh, they had great facilities, they had a lot of people, and everything was wonderful, and they, they had state-of-the-art material and buildings and all that kind of stuff. But that's not necessarily the way they were blessed. Matter of fact, Paul refers to them as a church of poverty. It was in the eyes of the world, the Macedonian church was poor, needy, had very little, but in that little, they overflowed. And so this text in chapter 8 is Paul referring to that church at Macedonia and encouraging the church at Corinth to be and follow that example. And so he starts in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance, now I want to go ahead and tell you, the word abundance and the word abounding is used numerous times through chapters 8 and chapter 9. In both chapters and in each instance, both of these words, abounding and abundance, come from the same foundational word in the Greek that literally means to overflow. And so I'm going to be interchanging those words as we go along. He said, how that in a great trial of affliction, the overflow of their joy and their deep poverty overflowed unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. You see, he's telling the church at Corinth that the Macedonian church was a mission-minded church. It was a church that literally had a vision outside of their walls. They saw not only the need for Christ in Macedonia, they saw the need for Christ around the world. And so they empowered the missionaries to go. They would give of their time, they would give of their money and other things to support the missions, just like Eastside Baptist Church. In supporting specific things like Sister Sherry as she's going back to Uganda. And if you haven't bought your spaghetti lunch tickets, you need to do that. All of that going to support buying sewing machines and materials to help these young ladies in Uganda be able to provide for themselves and provide for their homes. But then to the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board that we give to in our 
Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon offerings at Christmas and Easter. We've given to almost 11,000 Southern Baptist missionaries who are laying their lives down for the Lord, going all over the globe to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what kind of church Macedonia was. When you look at the Baptist newspaper in that day in Asia Minor, and they ranked the top giving churches to missions, Macedonia was always at the top, both in total dollars and in their per capita. It didn't mean anything to them. They gave out of their poverty. But I'm not talking about the money issue. All that will come along. Listen to what he said. He said, they take upon us the fellowship of the ministry to the saints. And this they did not as we hoped, verse 5, but first they gave their own selves to the Lord. And unto us, by the will of God, we've got to have our priorities right. You can give all you've got to the poor and to the needy. You can do unspeakable, unbelievable things. But if Jesus is not first and foremost in your life, if Jesus is not Lord, and we have given ourselves completely and wholly unto Him, everything else is a waste of time. Well, let me get to the verse. Insomuch that we desire Titus, that as he had begun, so he had also finished in the same grace also. Look at verse 7. Therefore, as you overflow, as you abound in everything, in faith, utterance, knowledge, and in all diligence, and love to us, see that you overflow or abound in this grace also. He said, as you abound in faith. Today I want to take just that one little thing. One little word, faith. And yet, such a huge subject. Faith will change your life, won't it? Faith is where it's at. Do you know that God's Word tells us that without faith, it's what? Impossible. That's a big word, isn't it? Now, we're Americans. We're told not to use words like impossible. Whatever you set your head to do, you can do. I'm here to tell you, God's Word says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, you can please people. You can please self. You can please politics. You can please children. You can please spouses. But until you have given your whole life solely and completely over to Him, knowing you can't do anything about it, and have complete faith in Him, it's impossible to please God. Do you know the Bible tells us that there will be those who will stand before Him at the judgment day who will say, Did, wasn't I spiritual? Wasn't I religious? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? And didn't I feed the hungry and help the sick? Didn't I do great and wonderful things in your name? And God will say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Now, church, I want us to look today at an overflowing faith. Three things 
that I want us to see. First of all, I want us to see that an, a true overflowing faith will be an indescribable faith. You know, if you get so full of God, there's just not words to express it. There, I love that Elena was obedient this morning. That is an overflow of faith. As she's playing the piano, along with the song, she's not just an instrumentalist playing the piano. The song spoke to her. But it was not the song, it was the Lord in the song. It was the Lord of the song. I think we have some of the greatest talent around. But you know, all the talent in the world cannot cover for the Spirit of God. The most eloquent preachers cannot cover for the Spirit of God. Sunday school classes that are just about getting together and talking about what games were played yesterday and what's coming up next week cannot cover for the Spirit of God. Our lives must be saturated, permeated with the presence of Christ and it can only happen <laughs> through faith. And here's the deal. This is our, your pastor's heart for Eastside going forward. That we would be a church of overflow. Of overflow. You know what overflow means, right? Do y'all understand what overflow is? It's filled up and over. It's past the parameters of what was set forth. If you've ever had a line clogged in your house, you know what overflow is. <laughs> but you know, the Bible tells us that we are broken vessels. Do you know that? Jeremiah tells us we're cracked and deficient vessels that can hold no water. So how can we take that and a, a vessel that is so marred that it can't hold water and yet overflow. Here's the trick. And I've mentioned this to you before, so it's nothing new. But I'm getting old. I repeat myself. But it's a good thing to repeat. Too many times, and too often as believers, we get under the flow of grace. God speaks to our heart. We are called by the presence of God into His marvelous grace. We've repented. We have turned from our sin and trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And that grace of God has poured into our life. And it has sealed us. But the flesh is still weak. And though our spirit is being renewed every day and one day, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We're still in the body today. And I don't know about you, but some days I'm more reminded of that than others. You get up and, you know, it's like, where did you put the WD-40? You know? And the aches and the pains and the other things remind us, you know, the first thing you do in the morning, it used to be the first thing I do before my eyes open. Grab the remote or grab the coffee cup. Now let's grab my glasses so I can see where I'm at in the world. 
But you see, with the grace of God, it's not just the grace of salvation. It's the grace of everyday living. And here's what happens. You take that vessel and you fill it up with water. You turn the fountain off, that water will leak out. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. But walking in that grace will just kind of leak out. Are you walking through life kind of numb? Got in a routine? You know you're saved, been born again. You know you're going to heaven. You, you know that Jesus Christ died for you and forgave you of your sins, but you've just kind of gotten empty. You're going through the motions. Just doing the same stuff because that's what you know you're supposed to do. I want to challenge you today to get back under the fountain. Because that same marred vessel that would leak out when you turn it off, if you will turn that, that, that grace fountain back on and allow that water to continually flow, it will eventually fill up. Even though it's leaking out in places, it will fill up and overflow. That's what we've got to do as Christians. Stay under the fountain. It's an indescribable faith. And at east side, look. There's three things I want you to get today that's going to be our mission statement going forward. In this indescribable faith, it is a faith of the presence of God, uh, of Christ. The presence of Christ. Chapter 9, verse 15 says, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Does that not just... Sound beautiful to our ears. An unspeakable gift. Have you ever received something that was so wonderful and surprising? You couldn't even answer. You couldn't even find words because it was so overwhelming. You know, like the birth of your children. I mean, it's almost unspeakable. That's what Paul said. When he said it's not lawful for me, what he literally meant was he had been to the third heaven and there were not words to describe the glory of the presence of God. The Bible says that it is here hath not heard, eye hath not seen, neither has entered into the heart of man. How great and how wonderful heaven must be. Church, hear me today. The presence of Christ found in an indescribable faith. But what kind of faith is indescribable faith? Hebrews 11.1 1, The foundational verse of the Hall of Faith says, Faith is the substance of things what? Hope for the lawyer, evidence, judge, evidence of things not seen. Evidence of things not seen. This is where the world's got a problem. I was told that this week. I was told I really have a problem. Stuff I can't see. And I just quoted what Jesus told Thomas. Because Thomas said the same thing, didn't he? Thomas said, until I put my finger in the holes of his hand and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Poof, there he was. Jesus came into their midst and he said, okay, Thomas, here it is. But he didn't, did he? He found that, he fell down and said, my Lord, my God. He said, blessed Thomas for believing. 
Blessed even more are those who believe and yet have not seen. That's what real faith is. Our faith is putting our trust and hope in nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. I have never physically seen my Savior. But I've never seen air either. But I believe it's there. I've seen the evidence of where it's been. I feel the presence of it even now. And the more I get wound up preaching, I feel it even more. But with Jesus Christ, have you ever experienced it? He's not just a fairy tale, you know. He's not something that we just write some really cool stuff and have some really neat games and snacks about during a week of vacation Bible school. Jesus Christ is really the Son of God. History records more about the resurrection of Jesus Christ than it does about Nero. Do you know that? There are more eyewitnesses. There are over 5,000 eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. It's all oh, that's just a fairy tale. But people say that stuff because they try to divert attention away from their own shortcomings and have to deal. But you've got to deal with Jesus. You've got to do an answer. He looked around and he said, who do men say that I am? Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah or, or Isaiah. But he turned and he looked at Peter and he said, but who do you say that I am? You see, we've got to give an answer to the world. We've got to give an answer to ourselves, but we've got to ultimately give an answer to Him. Who do you say Jesus is? Tell Him. Do you believe in this indescribable faith? A faith of substance and evidence of things not seen. You see, it's the presence of Christ which makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. Remember, Jesus healed a, a man one time. And it upset the religious crowd. And after he was healed, they said, what happened? He said, well, I had a problem now, don't He said, well, tell us all about it. He said, well, I, I can't explain everything. Well, who did, I can't explain all that. All I know is that when he got here, I had a problem. And when he left, I didn't. He healed me. It makes no sense that God, a holy God, who cannot sin, love a wretched sinner like me makes no sense. But God's Word says it does. God so loved the world. That's me. Because it takes so love for somebody's wretchedness. Not just regular love. It takes so love. God so loves all of us. In a love that makes it don't make any sense to the world for us to Stand in the face of adversity when the world says it hates us and to stand in love even in spite of it. That makes no sense. Some say, oh, I know what the Bible says about turning the cheek. And too many Christians fall for this stuff. But I ain't going to let somebody just keep on and keep on. That's what Jesus told people. He said... Why are you so surprised that the world hates you? They hated me. And if you claim me, they're going to hate you. 
Deal with it. Because this kind of faith makes no sense. If you read the story in Acts of the Apostle Paul, when he was going to Lystra and Iconium and Derby and all these other places, he was getting beaten. He was getting whipped. He was getting stoned. One time he got stoned, drug out of town, and left for dead. And the life regenerated in him. He got up, went preaching. You know what he did? He said, I'm never going back around that bunch of crazy people. They'll hurt you. He went back. He preached Jesus to him again. So I, I can't deal with these family members because they, they don't want to hear anything I've got to say. Look, sometimes we can rub people wrong. Right? Maybe it's our own testimony. That we're saying one thing but living another way. Look, you've got to be consistent in your faith. But the one thing you can do is know that if God's called you to do it, whether it makes sense or not, do it. Because He's charged us. He said it's an unspeakable gift. It makes no sense. But that which is not popular. You remember when Jesus came and cast the demons out of the man? that was crazy running around in the graveyard sound like some movie our teenagers going to watch if it was recorded today Nicholas Cage would probably play this, this guy and Jesus comes up and he casts the demons out of the man and where did he cast them? into the swine and what what happened to them they all ran down the hill into the water and committed suicide. <laughs> the story wasn't over, was it? Was everybody shouting and having a party for Jesus? They got mad, didn't they? See, that was our livelihood. You just run down into the sea. They didn't question his authority over the animals or over the demons. They were mad at Jesus over the pocketbook. Number one. Number two, what were they doing with pigs anyway? Because it was against the dietary laws that God commanded. See, it was convicting. I'm telling you, when you believe in God and follow Him according to His purpose, number one, it's not going to make any sense. Number two, it's going to be unpopular. But you've got to overflow in going to be unpopular. You're going to lose friends over Jesus. I got news for you. There were those who when Jesus started his ministry, they saw that they might get something out of it. At the end of John chapter 2, it said that they returned and didn't follow him anymore. Because they said, it's going to cost me something. I thought I was going to get something out of it. Do you know why so many Jews turned on him and hollered crucified him? Because they thought he would came to turn them loose from the Romans. And when he didn't do that, they got mad and said, well, just kill him. We don't need him if we can't use him. It's unpopular to stand for Jesus. Church, we must understand something about the presence of Christ that exceeds the expectations of the world. It exceeds popularity. It exceeds the need to belong in this world to where it does 
whether the sun rises or not, we can say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. The same words that many a martyr has gone to the stake saying, Though you take my life, he gave his for me. I will not turn. Church, there are more Christians being called to do that today than ever, ever before in our lifetime. They're doing it right now on different continents and in different countries. There are ex religious extremists. There are cultists. There are crazies all over the world that are beheading, crucifying, and killing Christians wholesale because Jesus Christ. We have to be praying for the persecuted church. Right? I hesitate to ask, could you do that? I pray it never comes to that. The church, that's indescribable faith, isn't it? How do you describe it? How do you describe that boy's picture I showed you a few weeks back? It says, though they kill me, I will still claim the name of Jesus Christ. That's indescribable, isn't it? That which makes no sense, not popular. But then it's an intensive faith. Not just, and here's, here's the second point of our mission statement. Number one, we're going to have a faith displayed by the presence of Christ. Overflowing, he said, in the presence of Christ. But it is an intensive faith that we have a passion for Christ. That it's not just about our 44 and no more. It's not about just our generation. It's not just about our Sunday school class. It's not just about our demographic. It's not just about our race. It's not just about our America or our state. It's about Jesus Christ and His righteousness. It's about His kingdom, His glory, His praise, His will, and our whole life is so intent on that that our faith becomes intensive in our passion for Christ. You can tell somebody about what they have a passion for. Can't you? People have a passion for sports. People have a passion for reading. People have a passion for work. I'm not even going to say some do for money, but some do it for work. I, that, that one really doesn't make any sense to me. They don't even care how much money they ain't going to work all the time. They have way too much fishing and other stuff to be done. Vacation state can work all the time. But you can tell a person by their passion. And it's alright to be passionate about things. As long as it don't cross the line that the number one passion of our life is Jesus Christ. Is that what we have a passion for? I mean, our heart burns. And he lights our fire. We want to hear about Jesus. We don't dread Saturday night knowing we've got to get up and go to Sunday school. We're looking for any reason and every reason not to come. We can't wait to get back on Sunday. We can't wait for Wednesday night 
to hear what questions are going to come up, to get in my, our class with our little children that we're going to love and care for because we're investing in the future of the kingdom of God. We can't wait. It's a passion that drives us. It's intensive because what? He is all I need. Look at verse 5. And this they did not as we hoped, but first they gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. They said, it wasn't because just that they did it for us, Paul said, but the church in Macedonia was so sold out to God and then we came and it was only the reason that they took care of us is because it was God's will for them to. We've got to come to our point in our life that our passion for Christ is greater than our passion for anything else. That, my friends, is the point when we say He's all I need. What is it that's holding you back from being able to look into His face and say, Jesus, you are all I need. My kids have some kind of crazy app game thing that asks the dumbest questions I've ever heard in my life. Makes these crazy, stupid questions. Like, would you rather get killed in a plane crash or in a train? I'm like, well, your dad either way, you know what? I, 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 don't, I don't get it. They, they ask these either or type questions. Well, it comes down to a very clear question we've got to ask ourselves. Is Jesus all I need where the world says, are you willing to die for your Christ? Or would you rather live for the world? That's the question. It's got to come to that. Are you willing to give it all up? What my kids asked me one question the other day. Would you rather lose an arm? If you had to lose a limb, would you rather lose an arm or lose a leg? What, really? Well, I don't know. This foot hurts pretty bad, so I don't know. Maybe a leg right now. But, you know, I just seem not to lose either one. Well, what are you willing? What is it that the Bible says is offending you to cut it off and get it out of your way? What is it in your life? I'm not talking about your lizard. Don't go home and cut a finger off or something because you've got a bad cuticle that's offending you. I'm, I'm talking about the things in your life that's causing you problems you need to cut off. Friends that you need to cut off. You hear what I'm saying? TV, movies, computers, outlets of recreation, other things in your life. What is it that you need to cut off so that you can look at Him with a great intensive faith of a passion for Christ and say, you are all I need. But in that passion, it's not just that He's all I need, but we let the world know He is the only one this world needs. The world doesn't need Jesus and Eastside's way or belief in Jesus. Because sometimes we may have our own. Look, they need Jesus. 
Now, I figure if anybody's going to go to church, why not come to the best? Amen? I'm not being funny. If you can't take pride in your own church, maybe you need to look and see if there's another. Man, I love my church. And I don't mean that in ownership, but of being part of this family. I love my family. I love it. Maybe my brothers and sisters encourage me. I love being with my brothers and sisters on Sunday. I love being in our Sunday school class this morning. I love Wednesday nights. Sometimes my flesh says, call Chad, get somebody to cover for me. My spirit says, no. You'll be glad you win. It does. Look, He is the only one this world needs. It's not the world needs Jesus, ain't it? It doesn't need Jesus plus. It just needs Jesus. We said from the start, when we had our first Sunday school teachers meeting just a month or so ago, this was the thing God laid on my heart. The church, hear me today. And I mean this with every fiber of my being. That if we're going to have the presence of Christ, a passion for Christ, and a purpose in Christ, then it's going to come down to understanding no gimmicks, just Jesus. Now we want to see numbers increase because more people are being taught. More people are hearing the gospel. More people are going out. The more that we tithe, the more that we give, the more we can do and serve and send missionaries. But ultimately, listen, it must be because of no gimmicks, just Jesus. Amen. Amen. I mean, that's that's it. it. He's all I need. He's all we need. And listen, real passion is not just understanding He's all I need. You know, there's a there's a difference in doing what you need to do and doing what you want to do. You know, you need to eat to live. But I want to eat lemon pie <laughs> and cheeseburgers and extra cheese and extra pepperoni pizzas and French fries. Greatest thing ever come out of France. <laughs> I don't think it actually did. Hey, let them claim something good. But you see, there's a difference in need one. And Glenn reminds me, you don't need that. Remember, cholesterol, blood pressure. Some things I don't need, but I want. Church, listen, we need Jesus. But when you get such a passion for Him, that's all you want, you become in tune to where you're walking and talking in faith. Let me finish this morning. It's not just indescribable faith in the presence of Christ. It's not just an intensive faith of a passion for Christ, but it's an intentional faith. This is our purpose in Christ. Everybody's got to know they matter. We got to know we matter. All of us. Young and old alike. Male and female alike. We've got to know we matter to someone. And that we've got a place in this world. I used to have an old, ornery, mean, obnoxious, foul-mouthed boss. And he'd always say, you good, old son. We could just find out what for you'd have a place in this world. 
It was everything I could do not to hate that old man. We need to understand we do have a place in this world. You wouldn't be here. That's right. And I want everybody under the sound of my voice here today to understand you have a purpose. God did not create a single individual without purpose. And your purpose is to bring glory to His name. That's your purpose. To glorify God and to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. That's the greatest commandment of them all. Do you love Him like that? It's the purpose in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, he says, For as the sufferings of Christ overflow in us, so our consolation also overflows by Christ. In other words, even though the sufferings of this world seem to overflow in my life, the blessings of the Lord does too. Sometimes our purpose in Christ is uncomfortable. Making a stand for Christ sometimes is uncomfortable. Would y'all agree with me? It's uncomfortable. They don't want Christians to talk about politics. The church, if we don't wake up and start talking about it and voting and doing what we need to do as born-again believers, this thing's going to be shorter than we ever believe. But we can make a difference. We need to stand, and I'm not talking about your preference. I'm talking about what does the Bible say. Y'all with me on that? Now, if that hurts your feelings, I don't know how or why, but get over it. Because God's Word is where you ought to vote, not what color or what kind of animal. You understand? It's all about Jesus Christ. He's Lord and Savior, not politics. You ought to be Lord over our politics. You ought to be Lord over our education. You ought to be, ought to be Lord over our civic organizations. Sometimes your purpose will be uncomfortable. Sometimes it's unconventional. Don't make any, make any sense in it. God does things that just doesn't seem to fit logic. What do you usually do with enemies? Stay away. Or shoot at them. That's what Phil Robinson said at night. Did y'all see that? He said, what would you do? Sean Hannity asked him. He said, what would you do about ISIS? And first of all, he said it in a good, so, uh, good Louisiana Southern explanation. He said, convert them or kill them. Sean Hannity, giving great credit, said in his mind, said, uh oh. He said, I like Phil, but Phil just stepped in. Because he said exactly what their ISIS is saying. Convert them or kill them. And so he said, Phil, I know how the world treats believers and treats you as a minister of the gospel. Can you explain that? And then the educated Phil took over. He said, let me explain something. He said, what I mean by convert or kill him is, he said, I would much rather sit down with my Bible. He had his Bible with him. He said, I'd much rather sit down and have a Bible study with him and explain the error of their ways that Jesus Christ is the only way. He said, now that's next to impossible, but I'd rather do that. He said, but if it comes down to a war, they won't. He said, then I'm ready for that too. He said, that's what I mean. 
Church, what we've got to understand is God sometimes can do things that will blow your mind. Where you think you need to take up a spiritual gun, this is what David said. He said that the Lord has prepared a table between me and my enemies. Psalm 23. And then what did he say about that? My cup overflows. There's some kind of special peace when God can make you and your enemies to sit down at the table together. Amen? When you can know that you can go to bed, I, I'm telling you, I hate it. I hate uneasiness. I hate unrest. I do. I mean, it just causes me great torment. I can't stand it. I can't sleep. It makes me physically. I can't stand it. There is nothing greater than to find peace in that. That's why the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. We need to understand God's ways in our purpose is not always conventional. It may not make sense for you to be a Sunday school teacher. That's all right. It don't make good sense for me to be up there preaching. But God has His ways of doing things, doesn't He? Maybe unconventional. Maybe impossible to the world. Luke 18, 27. I've been reading Absolute Surrender again by Andrew Murray. If you don't have that, a very simple read as far as the English and the print and all that. But I will tell you, it's not simple to read in your spirit because it will cause you to have to do business with God. And one whole chapter, he talks about this verse. Luke 18, 29, and surrender. We have to, number one, come to a point of understanding with men, it's impossible. It's impossible for you to draw your next breath without God. Do you know that? It's impossible for you to do anything. We're not world changers, folks. We can do nothing apart from Him. It's impossible with man. But with God, all things are possible. Now this is two steps. It seems like one, but it's two. One is impossible for man. Two, it's possible with God. Three, we have to acknowledge that and accept it. We can say that, so oh, with God all things are possible. But it's another thing, step through the door and let Him do it. We must understand that our purpose in Christ is impossible with ourselves. Look, it's faith believing. We can't. And it's faith receiving. He can and He will. Chapter 9, verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound, overflow toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may overflow to every good work. Church, do you have an overflowing faith? Is it a faith that is presence of Christ in your life? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Is the presence of Almighty God indwelling you because He has called you unto repentance. You have trusted Him as your Lord and Savior. Confess your sin. If not, today is the day. In just a moment, Chad's going to come stand right there. I'm going to stand right there. And there will be others who will be willing to pray with you. And if you need to come and repent of your sin, you need to come and say, Jesus, You are the only way. I can do nothing without You. You want to cast all your cares upon Him and show Him the faith that He's given you to believe in Him. 
you believe that He is the Lord and Savior and will be yours, then come. Faith receiving says He can and will. If you need to come today and you just need to get back under that fountain, and God turn over, uh, turn open the nozzle of grace to pour into your life, to push the bad things out, and to overflow in the faith of once again believing God can change lives. God can do anything He wants to in your life. That right now God's been challenging you. The world's coming against you for that which is unpopular, that's illogical, but God wants to do a radical work in your life. And God wants you to overflow in faith. You need to come join this church. You need to be baptized. You need to acknowledge what God's done. Whatever you need to do, now is the time. As they come with a hymn of invitation, Brother Chad, you come stand right there. I'm going to stand right here. Whatever you need to do with God today, this is the time. Presence of Christ. Passion for Christ. <coughs> If you're born again, a purpose in Christ. What is it you need to come and pray about today? What is it you need to turn over in faith to Him today? What is it you need to surrender to His Lordship today? Will you overflow in faith today and not leave here with any doubts, any confusion, any misunderstanding? You've given it all to Him. Right now as we stand, come. Come right now. Right now. Isn't it time you overflow?
that's our prayer today. We would come to a place that we literally can say, you're all I want. Understanding you're all I've ever needed. And that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, increase our faith as the apostles pray. May we go out into the world declaring who you are. Knowing that you don't need us to do that, but you want us to. For you speak for yourself. And need no man to witness that. Because you're greater than anything. But Lord, thank you for loving us. We love you. We pray this prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Yes, Neil. Yeah. Young at heart, you're 50 or above, and want to get tickets to uh, our supper Thursday night. See the ladies in the back. <laughs>